everyone. This is Liz Easton, and I wanted to take a quick second to invite you to listen in to the PC Book Club. <laughs> Wait, I need to start again. <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is Liz Easton, and I wanted to take a quick second to invite you to listen to the PC Book Club, a.k.a. PCBC. Every so often, Ricardo Avila and I chat about the books that you should be reading right now. It's just like sitting on your own private book club discussion, only there's probably slightly more references to true crime and Charles Dickens. <laughs> I did not write this. <laughs> um, we may have to re-record that anyway, because I think you just said it's just like sitting on your own <laughs> private book club. She did. That was great. Sitting on a book club. Sitting on a private book club. That's pretty racy. Sorry. Should I try again? It's just like sitting in on your own private book club discussion, only there's probably slightly more references to true crime and Charles Dickens. So if you're looking for the class with an occasional dose of the sass, then check out the PC Book Club right here on the Popping Collars feed. Class and sass. Love it. <laughs> I was praying. Hello, everyone. My name is Greg Knight, and I like watching, thinking about, and talking about movies. One of the great things about starting your own podcast is that there are some days where you actually get to talk to the creators of those movies. This is not one of those days. This is instead one of those days where I get to talk to a like-minded theological cultural explorer. This month, I got the chance to talk to Elijah Davidson, the author of the book, How to Talk to a Movie. The back of the book will tell you, watching a movie is more than an opportunity to be entertained. Watching a movie is an opportunity to meet with God. In a few brief chapters, How to Talk to a Movie will forever change the way you watch movies by opening your eyes and ears to what movies are saying, how they are saying it, and how God might be speaking to you through them. What I'll tell you is that Elijah has spent his professional life wrestling with the stuff we talk about on this podcast all the time. How do people make meaning for their lives out of the culture that's around them? Elijah is co-director of Real Spirituality at Fuller Theological Seminary. That's real, R-E-E-L, like a film reel. Get it? Yeah. Uh, he's also a film reviewer and host of the Real Spirituality Podcast. He's the author of an email newsletter called Come and See, which provides devotional material for a compiled list of the most celebrated 250 movies of all time, of which I am actually a subscriber. So, what inspired this North Texan to head out to California in search of meaning in the midst of our shared social stories? Find out as I keep things under the stool with Elijah Davidson. But before we chat, here's a clip from Real Spirituality's conversation with director Martin Scorsese from a few years ago. Where do I go to find the meaning of existence, the meaning of life? And that, for me, is Christianity, and that's the real saving grace of, of our world, of our species, really. Then what is it? What do we have to do to really make Christianity real, to realize it? 
How do we behave? What do we do? What do we say? Okay, we make mistakes, but then we move back. Yet I know the truth is within the behavior of yourself in daily life. I know it has to be there. I mean, there's something about our behavior. I know it sounds small, but it, it's not easy. It's very hard, but that's where it begins. And that's where we get to the truth of it and, and compassion and love. And that other, without that, there won't be any species. So I always start these conversations usually when I'm whenever I'm talking to like a creator, like a director or an actor or somebody that's in sort of movies or television. I usually start by asking them like what is it that drew them to want to create, to like mm -hmm. make art, you know, something like that. But in your case, I'm just curious like what led you to want to sort of devote yourself to thinking critically about art or like theologically about art? Like what was that thing that happened in your life that made you think, I want to do this. I want to talk about how we make meaning out of these things. It's a good question. I, I came to, so when I, when I went to seminary, uh, I went to Fuller Seminary um, and uh, I went there because I, because I liked popular culture and I, and I wanted to think, I wanted to be able to think theologically about popular culture and kind of engage with those um those stories and narratives and art that was like speaking to what we cared about as a culture. Mm -hmm. Um so my um you know I grew up in a like a small town um in North Texas and um I had a lot of friends who were um artistically inclined um or you know kind of weird kids. Um yeah. I was one of the weird kids too. Um and uh I I was um, I was always, I mean, I loved my friends and I loved myself and our little weird world that we lived in. And, um, I, I, I valued the music and the movies and the TV shows and the books and all that kind of stuff that we, mm -hmm. that we enjoyed. And I, I recognized, um, kind of early on that, um, those, those stories were doing something for us. Um, you know, they were, they, they, they mattered to us in a lot of ways. And I, and I looked around it you know, the rest of popular culture. And I saw the same thing going on. Like these stories matter to people and we don't, we're not always good at articulating why they matter to, to, to people. And um, I thought, you know, getting to know culture, popular culture better is a good way of knowing what's going on in the hearts and minds of people. Um, and um, yeah, being able to do that. So I, so I went to seminary to learn how to do that better. Um, and I chose, I chose to go to Fuller mainly because I, um, I wanted to go to a place where pop culture was being made. Um, so Los Angeles, um, uh, Fuller's in Pasadena in, in LA. And I was like, well, it's being made there. It's a good place to go. So there were like a couple of options for seminary for me, but it was like, I'm either going to go to LA or New York because that's where popular culture is made mostly. Mm -hmm. um, and so Fuller, Fuller fit that. And, you know, Fuller has, has long had a, like a theology and film kind of focused wing on stuff. I actually came, I was more interested in music when I arrived. Um, but I'd always loved movies. I'd grown up watching movies. My parents showed us classic films, um, yeah. growing up all the time. They would like, like say like, oh, you've got to see this. And they'd set us all down to watch Vertigo, you know, or something like that. Um, so I had a good, had a good family education on old movies and all in new movies and all kinds of movies. And, 
um, got involved in the theology and film thing at Fuller um, real, real early on. I was writing like reviews um, for the uh, student paper and whatnot. And, um, and then I knew I was also blogging a lot. I've always been a writer. I've always mm-hmm. written something. I've been involved in writing and uh, I was blogging a lot. And I was working for a department on campus that planned a lot of events on campus events. And one of the things that, um, that the theology film group does um, on campus is plan screenings. And so they knew I knew how to use, run a website and I knew how to plan an event on campus. So they hired me to help lead the theology and film program uh, for those reasons. Um, we, we built a new website at the time and they said, what should we do with this? And I was like, well, we should definitely have film reviews on there. Cause that's the basic way of interacting with what's going on and right. we'll yeah. come in contact with filmmakers and all that kind of stuff. If we do that. Yeah. Um, and so I started writing those then and just continued on. Um, it's, I've always felt like my only like real strong sense of calling is just to write. And the thing that's been in front of me to write for the past you know 15 years or so has been about movies. So, um, I've kind of just kept doing it. Yeah, that's so cool that you, that's cool that yeah. you went to seminary with that sort of in mind, you know, the, the secret origin story of our podcast is that like we st- my uh my co-hosts and i we stumbled on sort of this idea of pop culture and religion while we were at seminary mm-hmm. so it's kind of like this like oh you can do this like i remember i remember yeah. going to like a pop goes religion class and being like wait this is seminary like this counts yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. um so it's it's funny to think of like going with that in mind like was there a particular like movie or or uh well you said music originally is there a particular artist that made you think like man i really want to dig into that and i want to dig into it in a theologically framed way um no i don't think there was anyone okay. in particular i um i i've i yeah like i said uh movies wise like my parents showed us all kinds of stuff we watch movies all the time like the town i grew up in is like 700 people out in the middle of nowhere and there's like there's like two things to do in the town it's like high school sports or stay home and watch movies like that's pretty much it um and my dad's a high school uh high school coach um and i was never very good at athletics so i participated like team manager or did um things that weren't had asthma so i did things that weren't very hard on my lungs um but mostly i just stayed home and watched movies and my, yeah. my family loved movies so um so I was, we were always talking, always watching them and thinking about why they were good and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. um, so no in particular like film or artist really, I mean, um, there are artists I loved and grew up with and like loved, you know, learning more about or whatever, but. But you weren't like particular. a U2 kid. Yeah. You weren't like no. a, you know, man, I've got to, I've got to figure out what Bono's doing here or something. No, no, it wasn't like that. I mean, I, I, you know, I was like, like any typical teenager, like the, the bands I loved, I was really into, you know, right. like, um, or the musicians I loved, I was really into, but, uh, but no, it wasn't like a, there was no, like, it was more, I wanted to understand my friends better. I and mean, that was really kind okay. of more it. Um, I wanted to understand my friends better and like why they cared about these things that they liked. Like I, I wanted to know why, um, why my, why my friend wore a corn t-shirt, you know, like that was the kind of thing I was really interested in or why, why is Nirvana a big deal? Like I want yeah. to know that, you know, um, and, um, and movies too, you know, I, I was all, we watched, we watched a lot and I wanted to know why they, why they mattered. Um, I, uh, it's funny though. I, 
I, I did a I did a missions degree at Fuller. Um, I didn't even do a theology and art like degree. I did the intercultural studies program because I figured out that I could take more theology and art classes doing that degree than the other degree. So that was one reason. But also, like I wanted I wanted that anthropological lens um, mm-hmm. that they were teaching in the in the the mission school because all my all my classmates were thinking of going into mission missions work in you know Asia or Africa or somewhere like that. You know. And I was like focused on Western pop culture, like Western culture. Um, I was a little bit of an oddball in the classes, but mm-hmm. it was that same kind of that same kind of lens. How can we understand what's going on, um, and what can we what can we learn um, about what we care about? Yeah, yeah, that's really good. So I I uh, just finished your book, How to Talk to a Movie, and one of the things that I like about that is that um, just the, just the concept behind the title, right. Is that it's a dialogue. It's, mm-hmm. you know, so, so frequently we feel like we're receiving the movie and yeah. you even say in the book, like, it's not a question of like, do, do you like it or not? You know, even though yeah. that's kind of like how we start to value things or show value for things, you know, yeah. rotten tomatoes and all of that stuff. You know, one of the things that I, I find fascinating whenever religion and pop culture come into contact is that frequently an item in pop culture it feels more like you know thinking from a church background or from religion background that we're trying to put morality into something or you know put a message into a movie in order for it to have some kind of value i guess for us rather than like exegeting what is it like what's happening in the story right so it's like we try to put morals into Taxi Driver rather than sort of saying, what is Paul Schrader really working on here that we yeah. can then sort of incorporate into our life, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a little give and take there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The uh, I always um, I like to say that, like, you know, Christians have often have a uh, an expectation that the movie has a point of view they're trying to convince you of, um, yeah. you know, and like and that kind of sets you up to be like either on defense or antagonistic or something like you, you feel like you have to like, like fight it or something or whatever. And um, I mean, there are movies that definitely have a point of view and they definitely like say something about that. They're trying to ex- express something about the world as they see it, you know, or about people, or whatever. But um, I think mostly though, like movies in particular are driven by questions that the, that the creators have and um, questions they have about, about themselves, about the world, about God, about, culture about society whatever like they have questions and like the like the making of the film is a way to like ask those questions and sometimes they come to an answer that they want to like share with you um and sometimes they don't they're just like okay with the question and like right that, like it's like like artists theologize with their hands right like they they that's the way that they think is with their hands um and that's what filmmakers are doing he mentioned taxi driver like that was that was a film that when I first watched it, like, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty impressive film, but um, it also like really, I was, I was like shocked by like all that was going on there. And it like, it gave me a way of thinking about like Jesus that I had never had before. Mm-hmm. And um, not because there's like a clear Christ figure in the movie, but Travis kind of sees himself as a Christ figure in a lot of right. ways. And, um, and, and, and then like what that means with how he interacts with, um uh with uh Mabel Mabel right Joey Foster's character is Mabel mm-hmm. um how he interacts with her and all that kind of stuff and it like that was that was one of those that I was like oh there's a lot more going on here that I'm like that I was aware of and I need to like not do that better but but yeah it's, it's questions mostly mainly you know 
Yeah. And that's the fascinating thing is that, you know, you say in the book, and I totally agree with this, like this is storytelling. Like this is what we've done since the dawn of sort of human civilization is that we, we share stories and we find different media in order to share those kinds of stories. Mm -hmm. But like the thing about popular culture is that it has sort of this stigma because it's directed towards a mass audience. It has the stigma of sort of being low culture and not high culture. Right. And so there's got to be a part of you that's also thinking by talking about these things critically, we're we're kind of raising up sort of the status of some of this art a little bit too, right? Because, yeah. because I, I can see it being hard to sort of say, like, I've devoted myself to talking about movies and people not taking you serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. People like movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, so people always want to talk about movies, so that, right. that's always fun. I uh, I do think that there's a there's a there can be a tendency um, in there's like a there there has typically been a need for faith in film interested people or theology and film interested people to um, to like contend for the importance of what they're doing, um, both in the church and in the academic space and whatever. Like they. Cause it's a little bit weird. I mean, I mean mm-hmm. to talk about like faith in films is a little bit strange. And so like, there's been this kind of this felt need to like, this really does matter. And so like one way to do that is to talk about the movies that matter, you know, and like the, the more of the, I guess you can call them art house or Oscar bait kind of end of year type movies. So like focus on those films only. Um, and just to say like, cause they, you know, those are like a lot of times the, the themes are a little weightier uh, and a little more obvious in those kind of films. And, um, you know, you're talking about the movies that win Oscars, so they're, they're big, big deal movies or whatever. But, um, you know, we've, um, we've always, uh, we mean real spirituality or brim film, like the work that we've done there. Like, um, we've always given as much attention to, you know, the blockbuster popcorn movies too, and the animated films, all that kind of stuff. Because, um, I mean, out of that same conviction that like these movies are doing something for us, especially right. the ones that we're all seeing. Yeah. Um, and so let's talk about, the latest Marvel thing in the same space that we're talking about tar, you know, or whatever. So, so that yeah. actually, yeah. So that actually brings up two like big questions that I would have, and I'm a subscriber to your come and see email oh, yeah. list. So, um, so I get, I get a, you know, and I'll explain this in the opening, but I get a movie a week to kind of like reflect on, have a devotion with all of that stuff. And it's movies from throughout history, right? It's mm-hmm. movies from, like the dawn of movie making in the silent era all the way up to what parasite in 2019 was the last one in the book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, that's kind of the thing that I've noticed whenever I've done theology and film classes is that movies keep getting made. Right. And so (laughs) it's hard to get an education in like movie history because the, the strand just keeps getting longer and longer. And I always think to myself, okay, so it's like a gen X kid growing up in the nineties, I actually had it pretty good because there were only sort of a few classics that I absolutely had to go back and watch. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, if you're like a young cinephile, you have like this massive backlog to kind of educate yourself on. Uh And so I'm curious, like when you put together, come and see, and you have like 250 movies, are you thinking to yourself, like, who's going to do this? (laughs) (laughs) well, it's funny that I, you know, I actually thought, right, what I, I kind of thought was looking at looking at that, like you're talking about, like currently, there's so many movies that 
people would say you need to see, you know, and like there's there's also the great thing is they're accessible, you know, like you can actually see these films like the 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 classic films, the old films like when I was growing up. Um, so I, 90s kid, too, or whatever. And I, uh, you know, I would I got a um, one year, one summer Blockbuster had this um, they had this uh, promotion thing where like kids could get a movie for free every day. A yeah. kid could get a movie free every day. And the um the the idea was like you'd come in with your parents, you know, and the parents would rent something and the kid would get a free movie, whatever. But the age limit for the free kid thing was like 18 or something. So I, I was I was like 17 years old. So I signed up for it and I would like go to work at the grocery store that I worked at, get off work, go to Blockbuster, get a movie, go home and watch it, take it back the next day and do it over and over and over again. Yeah. Um and that was how I could watch like all these movies I'd heard about before, but never been able to see. Um, and now you can just pull up your pull up your Criterion channel or YouTube, yeah. you know, and like see this stuff. And so, um, which is great. It's, it's amazing that this is also accessible. I think that's a big reason why a lot of first time filmmakers now um, their first films are so accomplished um, because they've they've these like younger filmmakers have grown up with movie studios in their pockets um, on their smartphones and they can see anything um, and be inspired by so much. I think it's so cool. Um, so, but because of that, there's all this stuff. So you, you need a little bit of help narrowing it down uh, yeah. to like, what should you see? Like, what really should you watch? Cause you can find endless lists of that or whatever. And I guess come and see another list of that. But I wanted to like, I took a bunch of lists and I cross-referenced them and shook it out to get down to what was the most common canon, um, that you could kind of get to and then put all those together in a book. So, um, it was an attempt to kind of focus this like endless smorgasbord of movies, right. you know, into like, hey, maybe follow this path a little bit. Yeah. The second big question that gets opened up by this idea of what storytelling looks like now is this idea of, you know, are movies sort of the driving unifier that they used to be? So like this idea yeah. that you had of like, you know, saying, I, I just want to know like what what it is that my friends are into and what it is that's attracting them and having these bigger conversations about culture and anthropology and all of that stuff. And as, as things become more and more fragmented in popular yeah. culture, it just makes me wonder like, are, are we all seeing the same movies or are we creating, are we sort of like creating our own sort of pop spaces? Yeah. Um, and how do you have broader conversations? Like yeah. when everybody's going in different directions. Yeah, that's a good question. It, it reminds me of um, something T-Bone, T-Bone Burnett, I think, said. Um, and I don't remember, it was at the Music Hall of Fame or something. I don't remember what the occasion was now, but um, the quote's always stuck with me. He said, um, he said, Elvis was the last thing we, we all have in common, is what he said. Mm. Meaning that like in music or whatever, like that was, from that moment on, everything splintered into various uh, interest threads that people were on and nobody had anything else in common anymore. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's a true part of our life. Like it's, it's a good thing about like this kind of connected world we live in. You can, you can find a trail that you want to go down and go down it. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, and maybe nobody else is on there with you, but, but you're probably going to find some people that are, you know, because that's the internet. Um, you'll find some more people on your, on your path. And that's cool. Um, but yeah, it, it does kind of suggest that like, we don't have the same like large cultural touchstones that like previous generations would have had. On the other hand though, um, that doesn't really, uh, I don't worry about that as much um, because 
it's all audiovisual storytelling. So maybe like, you know, people play more video games and video games make more money than movies do um, mm. these days. And I play some video games, but not a lot of video games, but it's still audiovisual storytelling. You know, TV, TV, movies, that gray area between like streaming and all that kind of stuff. It's still all audiovisual storytelling. TikTok and Instagram, those audio audiovisual storytelling, you know, like it's it's all kind of the same. And so I do think that like, like watching movies or if that's the way you want to do it, like if that gets you better at understanding audiovisual narratives, great, you know, because when you're talking to somebody at work and the thing that they love is The Last of Us and you haven't played that, but now you have some audiovisual tools that you know you can like take things apart or like better understand them and you can go play it or watch some YouTube videos on it or whatever and like be better able to converse with them about what they care about. So it's like, on the one hand, there's all this stuff but it's all kind of a really similar medium. Um, and so if we have those tools, we can use them. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I feel like um, certainly there is like a stratification that's happened in, you know, fandom, you know, where people are, people tend to gravitate to what it is that speaks to them. Mm-hmm. I also find that different media, you know, it's sort of like bring out different values in people. Yeah. Like, I'm just thinking of this now because of the succession like finale that just happened and it just made me sort of think back like what has television looked like over the last 10 15 years and it's all like bad people doing bad things and yet yeah. movies have been like superheroes and uh-huh. super heroics and like you know um it's it's sort of like you know they feel like very different but also they feel kind of locked in you know mm-hmm. in into their worlds and it just makes me wonder if like if we're going to sit with something long form, it's going to have to be something that we can chew on. But if we're just sitting down to something for two hours, just give me popcorn and let me zone out, you know? Yeah. And it's like, so where are the movies like the taxi drivers of the world where you're actually really wrestling with something in that hour and 45 minute window, you know, mm-hmm. like, I yeah. don't know. I don't know yeah. what's happened to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. It's a good question. Um, you know, it's funny. We, uh, I mean, I, of course, I, I love watching movies. Uh, my wife doesn't love watching movies as much as I do. Um, and she loves watching movies. Don't get me wrong. She's giving me eyes um, because it's not entirely true what I said there. Um, but we like, we like watching different kinds of movies. Um, and like we enjoy, we enjoy a, a different kind of film. Like I, I like sitting down and watching, you know, a John Cassavetes film um, right. and like, like having to, having to work a little bit to get into the form and the acting and all that kind of stuff, you know? Um, and she would be just as happy, uh, watching, give, give me one that you'd be just as happy watching. Um, well, yeah, being the beast, you've got mail, but you would also like, yeah, you like watching Godzilla or, um, you know, um, or I don't know, you like historical epics too. So, um, you were happy when we watched Kundun, uh, the other day. So you really enjoy that because it's more of a historical epic kind of thing. Um, and I think there's a, um, and you're not, I'm looking at her as I'm talking, um, <laughs> like you're, you're less, you're less, um, she's less, it's hard to sit down for two hours into like a serious drama, you know, yeah. especially when you're tired in the evening, um, after Dude, a long day. It feels day. like homework sometimes. Yeah, yeah it's hard. Absolutely. It's hard. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to watch something that's a little bit more fun or to watch something that's, um, even if it has dramatic moments, it's broken up into like smaller bite-sized pieces. So, uh, you know, a 40 minute long TV episode, even if it's like more drama heavy, it's easier to process because of the way the story works then like something longer. So um, yeah, I think it's a lot different taste than what you're used to. Um, I, I can see how 
a, a two hour long movie feels like a big commitment from someone, even though they'll sit down and watch four back to back hours of a streaming show in, in right. the same window, you know? So, um, yeah. how the story's put together. Has there, has there been anything like when you've been working on the come and see project or, you know, doing reviews or something, has there been anything that really sort of surprised you that you were like, I would have never thought to include that movie. And then I went back and rewatched it or watched it for the first time. And I was like, man, it's got to go on the list. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, part of the project was that I didn't actually make the list. You know, I just, I just like shook things down to what the list was. Um, and so there was a lot of it that wasn't my choice. Uh, most of it wasn't my choice. There, there was, there's a little bit in the end of the, at the end of the 250, where it's like the last 15, 20 years or so, where I had a little bit more, say over what films were in there um i still was basing that off of lists other people had made of like great films from the, from the you know the century so far or whatever but um i had a little bit more say there um but i was surprised by a lot because I, I had seen about 150 films uh in the book before i started it so i had 100 more to watch um and i'd also not seen some of the ones i had seen i had never seen them in like historical context um so some of that was really cool and really surprising so like um, one of those is like Rocky. I've watched Rocky more times than I could ever count or whatever, right. but I had never watched Rocky in the midst of watching other 1970s new Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching it in that context, I was like, oh, this does feel a lot like a lot of these other movies. Like it has a lot of the same aesthetics. You can tell they had a lot of the same like shooting styles, like the on location thing. Like it's a little grittier. It's like real life people. Um, like you can imagine like, Rocky and Travis Bickle interacting with one another because their mm-hmm. worlds feel like it's kind of the same world or whatever. And yet it doesn't feel anything like a 1970s movie like from the time because it's so much more hopeful. Um, it's so much more like buoyant and hopeful. And I'm like, Oh, I totally understand why Rocky wins best picture and not taxi driver that year. Because when all everything else you're seeing is something that's so like heavy and the world's messed up and stuff like that. And then you have Rocky. You're like, yeah, I'm voting for that. You know, yeah. like, so seeing that in context was pretty cool. Um, another one, like similar time frame that surprised me was seeing Star Wars more times than I could ever count, but watching Star Wars in context um, yeah. uh, was really cool too. And like understanding how what Lucas was doing was that thing that the French New Wave filmmakers were doing. The, the filmmaker he loved Godard, you know, um, and um, he was riffing on Godard in his in his in his early films. So he's trying to do the exact same thing with 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 Star Wars, with Raiders of the Lost Ark, where you take an old genre that you love mm-hmm. and then you rework it for a, for now. That's that's the very French new wave thing to do or whatever. Now, the thing is, like, it got too popular and it, like, took over. So it was kind of <laughs> like, the, it was like all the things the French new wave said was a problem, like, come to full fruition, you know? Um, <laughs> it, like, took over the world and took over Lucas's life and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but it's interesting to see it as a natural progression um, and in a tradition, a, a movement tradition, um, yeah. even though now it's hard to think of Star Wars as anything other than Star Wars and whatever. So right. Well, it becomes cool. like it its funny. own thing. Yeah, it becomes like a well, yeah, I often wonder, like, what would happen if like the Planet of the Apes series were the Star Wars series, yeah. you know, where it's uh-huh. like, what? I mean, because it could have gone that way. Yeah. Like people could have made meaning out of like what was going on there, you know. Yeah. Like, they could have. And and then, I mean, I mean, Planet of the Apes is a good example of the kind of thing that, like, the movies that I didn't get to include in the book because I didn't make the list. Because, like, right. Planet of the Apes is, is incredible. Like, it's an absolutely amazing movie. And 
Um, I would I would put it on my list of 250 most you know <laughs> important films of all time, but it's not my list. And there, there's a handful like that um, that I that I really wish were in there that aren't. But um, but again, I was trying to there had there had not been a like a theology and film or Christian um, interaction with the canon of cinema in this way. And so I really wanted it, I, I wanted to take what these filmmakers and film scholars and film critics from across time have said, these are the movies that have shaped what cinema is. I wanted to look at those with that faith in film, theology and film lens and see what was there. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just uh, just what that reminds me of. And when you use the word canon was what um, sort of made me think of it was, um, you know, that's a, that's a word that has shown up in Star Wars fandom a lot lately, um, yeah. especially after Disney purchased the property um, mm-hmm. with this idea of like what from, you know, the old 90s, like in 2000s novels or old mm-hmm. like comic books are canon. Right. And which yeah. ones are not. And this idea that we insert religious language into how we talk about popular yeah. culture now, you know, it's mm-hmm. um, it's fascinating how people have just slipped into that. Yeah. And and these are people that aren't necessarily religious people at all, but they're yeah. using sort of religious terminology to talk about their fandom, which I, yeah. I find pretty fascinating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I mean, we go to church, sometimes we go to the movies to find meaning <laughs> and understand our place in the world. So yeah, yeah, makes sense. I, I'll get you out of here on this. Um, it, one of the things that we do in our podcast is we do sort of like the old Blockbuster uh, store. We do sort of staff picks on our show ah. sometimes where we take an item from pop culture that we're really into for whatever reason. And we just kind of highlight it and talk it up. So if you had a staff pick for anything in pop culture right now, what would you talk about? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's funny coming off of doing this project where I was like really into these great quote, great films, you know, for so long, like I had to, I couldn't, I couldn't follow my own like interest rabbit trails into popular culture for the longest time. Cause I had to watch these movies and write about these films, you know? And so it's like, I'm still like having like lived in that for like five years. Like I've not, I've been working my way back into and remembering how to just like watch for fun, right. you know, again, and um, let something let me let myself love something for the, for the fun of it, not for any purpose. Um, I've really been, I've really been enjoying Steven Soderbergh's films a lot lately um, right. and kind of kind of watching a lot of his movies that I've seen before and some I haven't. I watched a, I really loved his uh, his Che, his two part Che biopic. Um, that was that was cool. I, I was, I'd always wanted to watch that. I'd started watching it one time years ago and, and just didn't finish it. Um, finally sat down and really watched that thing. That was great. The, those two films are great. Have you seen those? Um, I I think I saw the first Che. Um, uh-huh. You know, for Soderbergh, I've been watching like lately. I've been watching like his new stuff that he's been putting uh-huh. out on yeah. HBO Max. So like, uh-huh. um, what was it? Oh, the like, one with Kimmy? Zoe Kravitz that came out Kimmy. last year. Yeah, yeah Kimmy. Kimmy, love Kimmy. That was in my top ten. Yeah, last year, love that movie. Um, I'm yeah. just always fascinated with like one his creativity, but then uh-huh. two this idea of like well, what can I make a movie with? And what is a movie anyway? Like what, Mm -hmm. like what does it have to have a certain structure? Does it have to involve certain equipment? Like how, you know, how can we rethink the medium a little bit? And that's, Mm -hmm. that's always been fascinating to me is that it's not, he's, it's not all about story, but it's not all about form either with him. It's sort of playing in the margins of all of it, which I think is. 
Yeah, he's he's like some people call him like a cerebral filmmaker um, and a little bit cold because there is like always a real intellectual element to what he's doing. Like he's he's purposefully playing with the form and the tools. And like mm-hmm. he it's almost like he finds the story as an excuse to play with the tools uh, right. and the form. And that's 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 a lot of fun to me for me. Like, I, I really love that. And um, I was I've been watching his show, his show that was on Showtime, The Nick, uh, watching through that, yeah. which um, he 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 shot edited and lit himself uh, the whole the whole thing um but he, I, I like his kind of like restless creativity to keep like trying stuff and doing stuff that appeals to me um i like all the different like genres he worked in it's like he can't just help himself he just has to keep trying stuff yeah um, yeah so that's cool that's yeah we uh one of the spinoff pods that we do on our channel is um where we go back and watch movies from 30 years ago and talk mm-hmm. about kind of like what the legacy of them is, you know, mm-hmm. nowadays. And uh, we went back and uh, did sex, lies and videotape a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. And just thinking of like Soderbergh's been doing that the whole time, yeah. because like when you, when you call your movie, sex, lies and videotape, the audience is going in expecting a very particular movie. And what you get are four people talking in rooms. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> what is what is this? Right. Yeah. But he's always kind of been doing that, just yeah. sort of messing with people's expectations a little bit. Uh-huh. And telling the story that he wants to tell. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny with that one too, because there's like a meta element looking at his career back looking back at his career, like, okay, the only way to get at the truth is to point a video camera at somebody. Yeah. You know, and like that's the only way to do it. Otherwise, people don't tell the truth ever, um, and that's that's really funny to me. Uh, looking back on it now, but, I love it. Yeah, uh, Elijah Davidson, thank you so much for joining us on Popping Colors. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks. Love it.